Greetings in Jesus' name. I'm Bishop Chester Wright, and this is the video teaching series, Houses of Worship, or what role did people's homes and houses play in the New Testament church, and what role will they play in the last day church? And so uh, we're going to be looking at Scripture uh, on this. We're not going to be talking about methods. We're not going to be talking about ministries specifically. Uh, we're going to be talking about the venue. Uh, you say, why, why, why talk about the venue? Because that's all we talk about is venue. We have the venue of the church building. That's what we call it. It's not in the Bible anywhere, but that's what we call it. And so that's our venue. That's our focus. So it is just as valid to focus on a New Testament venue uh, called a house or a home and find out really what the what does the Bible have to say about this? Most people do not know and have not, have not checked. It's not you have to be smart to find this out. You just have to be intentional about looking and seeing what the Bible says about the role that houses played in the New Testament church. And uh, one of the most uh, notable things about being apostolic in the Bible was that they had two dimensions of their ministry. They met publicly and from house to house. Let's read it. Acts chapter 2, verses 41 and 42 says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Now, verses 46 and 47 says this, the last two verses of Acts chapter 2, the, the chapter of the birthday of the church. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple, that's publicly, and in and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. Question, is the word church here reference to a facility, to a building, or to the body of Christ? Well, of course, someone would have to be really, really, really blind to believe that the word church here has to do with a an address. This is talking about the body of Christ, the church that Jesus is built and is building. So in this uh, video teaching series, this will not be an exhaustive examination of the pivotal role that houses or homes of seekers and or of New Testament believers played in the life and ministry of the first century church. It's not, it's not exhaustive. This study is limited in scope, but it is foundational in significance. So we're not, we're not proposing in this uh, series of lessons that we're going to be dealing with this subject exhaustively. We're not. We're just going to go through the scripture and give a basic overview of what 
the Bible says about homes and how what what play, what ministries took places place in homes in the uh, in the New Testament, uh, starting with the four introductory books to the New Testament, the Gospels, and then getting to uh, the beginning of the New Testament, which is the birthday of the church, and all through the epistles, and and just see see if uh, we know. Uh, what exactly is taking place in houses and what 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 the church did with a house. Now, in this lesson, just this lesson, we, we want to really look at the word church, not how we use it today, but what it is in the in the original language. Uh, so let's begin with a cumulative and somewhat comprehensive definition of the Greek word ekklesia, which is which in the scriptures is usually translated by the English word church. Now, the first time this word is used in the Greek New Testament and is also the first time the English word church is used, it's in Matthew 16, beginning in Matthew 16, 18. And I say also unto thee, thou that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, I, I really hope that there is no one who believes that Jesus is talking about building a building at a specific address, some kind of edifice or facility here, because that isn't even remotely what he's talking about. And, of course, all the apostles and their writings especially made it very clear that the church was not a building but the collection of God's people. So let's, let's look at this. So the Greek word ecclesia, according to Strong's, is literally a calling out or concretely a, a meeting, especially a religious congregation or Christian community of members on earth or saints in heaven or both. That's Strong's. Uh, Thayer says that it is uh, most generally a gathering of citizens called out from their homes into some public place and assembly. Uh, then uh, in a Christian sense, the Greek word ekklesia means an assembly of Christians, this is Thayer's uh, Greek lexicon, an assembly of Christians gathered for worship in a religious meeting. This is Thayer's definition. Uh, uh, another one of his definitions in a Christian context would be those who anywhere in a city, village, uh, etc., constitute such a company and are unified into one body. And then also the word ecclesia is used according to Thayer's in the New Testament to also refer to the whole body of Christians scattered throughout the earth. Praise God. And so uh, this is exactly what the Lord is wanting to do here. This is what he's wanting to do. This is what he's wanting us to know. We can't be the church if our focus is more on a facility than it is on the spiritual principles of the body. 
we can't know what we're supposed to be. We can't know what we're supposed to do. We're not we can't know how we're supposed to be structured, what our purpose, our goal is, our focus. We can't know what the promises mean if we don't understand what the church is and what the church is not. The old timers didn't call it a church. They called it a church house, a church house. Uh, for centuries, even when the Catholic church in the uh, third century uh, began to build, uh, actually the fourth century after 325, or 315 A.D., they began to have edifices. They didn't call them church. They called them uh, temples, or or they would call them, uh, oh, what is the words I'm looking for? Anyway, they didn't use the word church. They didn't use the word church. That's more of a, a Protestant thing. I mean, the, uh, the uh, Catholic Church uses the word basilica, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so the word church has, is really more of a Protestant thing, and we Pentecostals just kept it when we came out of Protestantism at the beginning of the last century. But the problem with it, I don't have some major, I'm not saying it's heaven or hell issue if we call a building church as long as that doesn't pervert us understanding who the real church is, what the real church is supposed to be, what the real church is supposed to do, how it's supposed to be structured, what its purpose is, as a part of God's plan in the earth and in eternity. So uh, the church is going to heaven, but there are no buildings going to be raptured. That's a pretty simple line to be drawn right there, isn't there? Anything that can't be raptured is not the church. It may be a facility where the church meets or the church house, uh, whatever. Whatever you want to call it, Call it whatever you want to, as long as you make a clear distinction between who the church really is and what the church really is versus a facility that is used by churches for what we call public gatherings. So even that is kind of warped, in my opinion, uh, because... Is it really a public gathering if it's in behind closed doors? Uh, it's not a public worship service. It's a public access worship service. If we allow people to come in from out of the public into our building, it's not a public worship service. It is a public access worship service. You say you're making, you're splitting hairs. No, I'm not splitting hairs. Because this terminology consciously and subconsciously affects who we are and what we do and how we look at things and how we approach things and the priorities we, we put on things. For instance, the verse that says, my house should be called, or the verses that say, my house should be called a house of prayer. Does that mean this building that we call a church is supposed to be a house of prayer? Or is the body of Christ supposed to be a house of prayer? Which one of those do you think that verse is referring to? 
Well, the problem is, if we don't make a clear distinction over our traditional use of the word and our biblical use of the word, then we misinterpret verses. And we think if we are calling prayer meetings at the church building, church facility, that we're making the church a house of prayer. Not true. It's not true. Let me go on. Uh, the Complete Word Study, Study Bible Dictionary defines the word ecclesia this way. It was a common term for a congregation of the called people or those called out or assembled in public affairs of the free state, the body of free citizens called together by a herald, which constituted the ecclesia. This body of free citizens called out of their homes, called together uh, this is the Greek definition, by a herald is what constituted ecclesia, that group of people. It wasn't where they met. So this calling out is not a calling out of homes. Biblically, it's a calling out of the world to, be, to become a part of the body of Christ. And so Complete Word Study Dictionary uh, continues, in the New Testament, the word is applied to the congregation of the people of Israel. On the other hand, uh, the two terms used in the Old Testament, uh, especially the uh, uh, the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Old Testament, synagogue seems to have, that was a Greek word, to have been used to designate the people from Israel in distinction from all other nations. In Hebrews 10.25, however, when the gathering of Christians is referred to, it is not called synagogue, the Greek word, but episynagogue uh, with the preposition epi upon translated the assembling together. The Christian community was designated for the first time as the ecclesia to differentiate it from the Jewish community synagogue. So that's the difference, and that's where the difference came in. So the term ecclesia denotes the New Testament community of the redeemed in its twofold aspect, it's again, this is a complete word study dictionary I'm reading from. First, all who were called by and to Christ in the fellowship of his salvation is ecclesia. The church worldwide of all times is ecclesia. And only secondarily, a local, a, a local church is, uh, or an individual local geographical church is called ecclesia. Then, then also, secondarily, the uh, New Testament churches, however, are also confined to particular places, meaning geographical areas. And we're going to study that in this series of lessons. What, where did they, where did the ecclesia meet? How did they meet? Uh, continuing on with the complete word study dictionary, another uh, definition they have for this, the word ecclesia is nowhere used of heathen religious assemblies in Scripture. No place. That's a very important point, isn't it? Uh, the word synagogue, though used in the early church as a synonym for ecclesia, see James 2 and 2, quickly went out of use for a Christian assembly, except in sects which were more Jewish than Christian. Owing to the growing hostility of the Jews, it came to indicate opposition to the church. So the synagogues, word synagogue and in many situations 
actually came during the church time of the church, the New Testament came to represent the Jews who were assembled together in various locales and in distinction of the church, according to complete word study dictionary. And then one last phrase I'm reading from there. Ecclesia, therefore, at once suggests the new people of God, the new Israel. An amalgamation of these various definitions for the Greek word ecclesia, the church, would be as follows. This would be an amalgamation of all these different definitions in reference to the word church. What is the Greek and English word church supposed to represent? The assembly of the called out ones, those who are called out of the world and called together together in Christ who are gathered in Christ, who are in Christ and are gathered together with the body of Christ. From these fairly exhaustive definitions of ecclesia, it is obvious that this Greek word cannot be applied to designate it a place or physical location where an assembly meets. Now, we do that traditionally. And again, I'm not drawing a line saying, if you use that word like that, you are going to hell. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. But I am saying this, if our use of the word outside of the bounds of the biblical definition of it and the the, the Greek technical definition of the word, if we're using it in, in ways that the Bible doesn't use it, that's fine as long as that does not color, affect, infect in any way our plans, our purposes, our focuses as a part of the body of Christ and a part of his, of his plan, pur- purpose, and kingdom in the earth. Because if we do so, we violate the intrinsic meaning of the original Greek word translated as church, and falsely, we falsely represent a dimension to the meaning of this word that is neither proposed nor inferred by the Holy Ghost in choosing it. One more time. This isn't my word, either in the Greek or, I guess, in the English. Not my word. Not my word. It's the Holy Ghost word. The Holy Ghost chose this word. Chose this word. And I've got to believe the Holy Ghost knew what the word meant. I believe the Holy Ghost knew what the word meant. I know what the Holy Ghost intended that we understand the word to be. So, again, I'm, I'm making the point. I don't care how you or anyone else uses the word church. As long as the way we use the word church, if it's outside of the biblical context of the word and how it was defined and what it expressed and described in the Bible, as long as that's not colored, as long as that's not uh, infected, with tradition and neuterized, neutralized and neutered is the word, what I was trying to say, neutralized and neutered, as long as that's not, I don't care what you call your building, call it what it want to. But if our whole plan and focus and spiritual uh, questing is all focused around a building that we call the church, and that's more the church to us than the body of the people are the church to us, 
then there's a problem. This is not a minor or a diminutive point. This is not a this is not right splitting hairs. This is the word of God. This is the word of God. This is not minor. This is major. Why? Because I was raised in the UPC all my life. My mother was attending United Pentecostal Church in Pensacola, Florida when I was born. Except for my four years at the Naval Academy. When I there was no church in, in this city that we now are have been in 50 plus years or almost 50 years building a church or the Lord building a church through us. Uh, when I went to, I had to go to the chapel. I've been to the United Pentecostal Church all my life. And I am not an outsider or a first generation guy. And I thank God for all of them because we would really be stale and stagnant if we didn't have any first generation Pentecostals in our mix to dilute <laughs> to dilute the influence of those of us that have known nothing else but. Because our problem with knowing nothing else but this all our lives, we're really, really, really reluctant to change things because we don't want to be offensive to our pastor or our elders or our parents or whoever it is that we've got such emotional attachment and loyalty to that our concern about Offending them is more important than our feelings about violating the word of God and not going by the word of God. Jesus said in John 5, 39, search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. And of course, the church is the body of Christ. So if the New Testament is testifying of him. It's not just testifying of the one who is now the head of the body sitting on the throne of the universe, according to Ephesians 1 and Colossians 1 and other places. No, it is also testifying of the body of Christ, his expression in the earth today. The one born in that in Bethlehem that was swaddled in clothes and laid in a manger the first few hours and days of his life? Yes, that was, that was that expression of God in the earth for that period of time. But since the day of Pentecost till this day and until the rapture, the church of the living God is the expression of God in the earth. And Christ is the head of that. And him being the head is what makes this the body. Because without the head, we aren't the body. And the question then comes down to this. When he said, search the scriptures, for they are, uh, uh, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. He's not just talking about the man Christ Jesus and who he is. He's talking about the church, the body of Christ, and who it is, who we are. And the problem is, how much stuff do we do that we think is in the Bible and is not? Well, there's a lot of stuff we do that fits in the same category as some of those famous verses as cleanliness is next to godliness and God helps those who help themselves and charity begins at home. And I've heard those verses all my life, except there's one slight problem. They're not only 
not anywhere to be found in the scripture, but each one of those is diametrically opposed to the principles of the scripture. So do we believe what the Bible says or do we believe what we think it says? Well, there's only one way to know what it actually says instead of what we think it says. And that is by studying the word. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman which needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And how much shame will there be if we get to the end of all this and find out we were wrong and didn't even bother to look? Because this is what we've been, this is the way we've done it all of our lives. Well, how many people out there right now? that are Christians to the best of their knowledge. And we apostolics think they should be willing to go to the book and find out what it says and give up what they've known all their lives in order to be more in line with the word of God. Well, don't forget this. Jesus said, whatever measure you judge by, that's the same measure we're going to be judged by. And so if we think that the church world is supposed to go to the book, find out what the book says, and obey what the book says, and not what they've always practiced, and not what they've always taught and thought. Well, that turns right back around on us when we're pointing at them. The old four fingers pointing at me, only one at them. And we're going to be held accountable for that same standard. And again, the issue is not what we call the building that we use for our, our semi-public or quasi-public worship services. The problem is how that facility and it being named the church affects our whole concept of who we are and what we're supposed to be. For instance, I was raised to believe that if I obeyed Acts 2.38, came to church faithfully, came to church services faithfully, paid my tithes, lived holy, and obeyed the pastor, I would be saved. Now, did we look at that and see how much of that is focused on a facility and not a lifestyle, not the life of a disciple, of a saint of God, rather than a church member, a church attendee. Where do those terms come from? They're not in the Bible. Church, we're members of the body of Christ, but there's no phrase in the scripture, church member, members of the body of Christ, members of the bride of Christ. But the word member is never used directly with the word church as church member or church attendee. No, that's terminology not in there. And again, I'm only trying to make this point to make the point. I don't care what it's called. Call it what you want to call it. Some are religiously and I traditionally just stuck with calling our gatherings, our assemblies, church services. Okay, no problem. Church services, worship services, gathering, assemblies, I don't care what you call it, as long as it doesn't become a, 
the prison for the body of Christ physically or intellectually or spiritually. So the whole purpose of the series is to get us to think outside of our traditional box. Just look what the scripture says. Now, I've already said enough to scare some of you off. Some of you are going to finish this series. You know why? You're afraid to know. You don't want to know. I'm not trying to be unkind here. I'm challenging you. I'm challenging you. And at the end of this, there will be a set of notes available for your reference and study. They're not, it's not a book. It's just a set of notes I taught from that you can just use to look it up and look stuff up. They'll be available. But the question here is this. Are you going to be too afraid to look because you're too afraid to find out what's really in there? My friend, brother, sister, don't judge them out there that we consider out there for not being willing to look at the Bible and see what it says when we are not willing to do the same thing ourselves because we understand their fear. We're afraid of what I'll, we'll see in the word and afraid of what changes that may require us to make, at least in our thinking, if not in our life and lifestyle and concepts and practices. This is the state of Maryland, which is literally Mary land. Of the original 13 colonies, it was the Catholic colony. And uh, the original capital city of the state of Maryland, or the colony of Maryland, when the state then, was St. Mary's City. That was the address, St. Mary City, Maryland. And uh, one of the oldest edifices in the state capital here, uh, Annapolis, where we are located, uh, is St. Mary's Catholic Church, one of the oldest buildings in town. When we were sent here, I said to God, how in the world are we supposed to preach the gospel to the Catholics? And as simple as this sounds, this is what he said to me. He said, tell them don't believe what anybody tells them about God or the salvation or whatever that they can't show them in the Bible including me. That's what I was supposed to say. Don't believe me or anybody, no priest, no preacher, nobody. What they tell you that they can't show you in the Bible so you can see it for yourselves. That worked really well to get people to come. But the problem was almost 50 years ago when they started coming and then I started teaching some of the traditional things I had taught, had been taught to me growing up in the church. They looked at me and said, where's that in the Bible? Oh, well, you're going to do this because I'm the pastor. Oh, no. No, we're not. You said to us, don't believe anything anybody can't show you in the Bible so we can see it for ourselves. And you said, "Don't believe, including me. And that's why we came here, because we could trust that everything you said to us, we'd be able to find in the Bible. So show us what you're talking about in the Bible. Well, guess what? God's word to me, to how to reach them, it, uh, it was like the manna. Not the manna, but the shoe bread in the tabernacle and the temple. It was bitter to the taste. 
But when I swallowed those words and began to practice those words, they have affected my entire pastoral and bishop ministry all these years later, some 49 years after that event. If it's not in the book, I don't believe it. If it's not in the book, I don't practice it. If I can't see it in the book, I don't believe what anybody says that they tell me I don't see in the book. I love you, and I can fellowship with you as long as it doesn't cross the bounds where I'm forced to violate my conscience from what I see in the book. Now, you can live however you want to. That's what I'm not gambling, but bounding my whole hope of salvation upon right there. I'm following what's in the book, nothing more, nothing less. Now, you do what you want. And if you're too reluctant to even look in the book to see what's there, in this video series, most of the lessons are not going to be that long. And it's an opportunity for you and I to look at the scripture together and see what the word of God says. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray upon you and me, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would allow the Lord by his grace to put within us the desire to please him by studying his word, searching out his word, praying over his word, so that he can speak to us through the word, and then he would empower us to do what the word says so that we might please him in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. God bless you.